Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. As you can see, um, we have a new series, Speak Jesus. And uh, we are going to the book of Acts. So if you want to uh, take your Bibles and go ahead and turn there with me, um, you can do so. We are going to be getting into the book of Acts. Chapter, uh, chapter 1 is where we're starting today. But uh, let's, just, let's just pray. Let's just bow our heads right now. Let's just pray for God to speak to us through, through his word as we come, come to it this morning. Father, thank you that you are with your church. God, you're the foundation You're the cornerstone, God, and that your church is not a building, it's not a place, it's a people. And God, would you just fill this place, fill your church, fill your people with your spirit, we pray. And God, would you teach us from your word as we go to it this morning. God, help us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind as we go to it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's good to have you with us this morning. Um, as, we, uh, as we go into this book of Acts, I'm going to start off with, with kind of a longer introduction about, about the church. We're going to have a conversation just about, about the church. What is it? And, and that, that's really the first question that I, that I want us to approach as we come to Scripture this morning is, is that question of what comes into your mind when you hear the word church? What comes into your mind when you hear the word church, okay? I bet you a lot of things are coming to your mind as, as you think about it, uh, depending on your background, whether you were raised in church or not raised in church, whether Valley Church is the only church you've attended, or if you went to a lot of other churches before, or whether your church was traditional or contemporary, or, you know, we have a whole gamut of things, or they had a liturgy, or they were more relaxed, you know, we, we, we come to church and we have certain expectations, and, and I think, think of a lot of our expectations about a church and what a church is are ultimately pretty far off from what the original church started as. See, we, we often think of a church as being a building or a pastor or, uh, you know, we, we think of a steeple or, or maybe it having pews or, or chairs. Some, some of us think of the church as being an institution, as being a denomination. We, we, we think about how, how a church has Bibles and banners and bands and buildings. All these things we think of when, when that word church comes to mind. But can I tell you, none of those things are the church. None of those things are the church. As we begin in the book of Acts, we are going to see the beginning of God's church form. And from the very beginning, the church began as a movement. A movement with one very simple message. And the message was this. Jesus died, was buried for three days, And he is resurrected from the dead. That was their message. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection unified those first century believers in the belief that Jesus is who he said he was. 
Jesus is who he said he was. He said, I'm, I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to be raised from the dead. You can destroy this temple in three days. I will build it back up again, okay? And that's what Jesus said, and that's what he did. And they're all witnesses of that. That's how the early church began. And so as we go into the book of Acts, what I want to do is just give you a little bit of a history lesson on the church, specifically one word that we see used for church in the, uh, in the scripture. And, uh, and, and this is a Greek word, and I want to give you a little bit of background on the whole idea of church through this. Is that all right? Okay, so if you, if you just want to turn, turn to your neighbor, we're going to be going deep. I'm going to teach you an actual Greek word. Turn to your neighbor and just say, we're going deep. Okay, all right, okay. Turn to your other neighbor and say, are you ready? <laughs> all right, okay, very good. I think we're ready. Okay, so if you're ready, I didn't hear anybody say they're not. Let's keep on going, okay? The Greek word that we're going to look at today, the Greek word is that word, it's a little word, that is translated church in the New Testament, and it is the word ekklesia. We'll bring it up on the screen. There, Logan, Logan's going to have it on the screen for you. Ekklesia. And um, why don't we just say it together? Because it's kind of fun to say. Can you say it? Ekklesia. All right, very good. Ekklesia. All right. Okay, ekklesia literally means called out ones, or an assembly, or a gathering, Okay. And throughout the Greek New Testament, we see this word ekklesia refer to a gathering or a congregation um, that testified about Jesus and his resurrection. That was the original Greek word that was used in Scripture, ekklesia, the called out ones in assembly. But you know, something terrible happened in history that distracted the church, the ekklesia, away from who they truly were. And it was because of a mistranslation of this word, ecclesia. As time went on, there was a translation and a transition from the church as a people to a church as a place. From a gathering of brothers and sisters to a hierarchy. From a simple message about the resurrection to something entirely different. And so as we get to 300 AD, that's 300 years after Jesus has resurrected from the dead, okay? If Jesus Jesus was 32, I think when he died and was resurrected, okay? That's that's minus 32 years, 300 AD. They started translating this word ecclesia differently. And here's here's what they did. They used a different word instead of Instead of ecclesia, they actually translated it kirche. Kirche. This is, a, this is a German word that means the Lord's house. Okay? If maybe, maybe if you speak German, it's, I think I, I looked it up on Google. It's kirche. Kirche. Okay? I'm not a German speaker, but, but that is what it means. And they, trans, they took this word ecclesia and they translated it as they were doing it. They translated it into this German word which meant something totally different. Instead of being a people, they translated it as a place, as a place. And we can see how our word, English word, church, is a derivative of this German word. You see it? Yeah. 
Okay, so something, something's amiss here. Um, th- this word um, means the Lord's house, and you can see that. And, and yes, it is a capital L, meaning the Lord, but it is actually used, this word is actually used to describe the gathering places of all kinds of religions. Okay? it's not necessarily Christian. It could be a Hindu religion. It could be Buddhist, Baha'i, Muslim, even Catholicism. That was the primary use of this word, used this word to describe their gathering places. And it was actually a throwback to the Old Testament idea of a temple. You remember in the Old Testament how God's God, God said, I want you to build me a tabernacle when, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, build me a house And then they had the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence dwelt. And then once they got settled into the promised land, they actually built under Solomon, they built a temple for God, and, and there, the, there the Ark of the Covenant was, and it was a, they had the Holy of Holies, you know, in there. That's where God's presence was. And if you wanted to meet with God, you had to gather at the temple. God's presence dwelt at that place. If you wanted to be close to God, you had to go there, okay? Before long, as we look at history, instead of God dwelling in the temples of his people, the church thought, no, we've got to go to a temple. We have to go to a building. We've got to go to the Lord's house to meet with God. You see something wrong with that? Now, what what is tragic in history is this, is that whoever controlled the building then controlled the church. Whoever then controlled the building controlled the scripture. Whoever controlled the building then controlled the people. And in some segments of Europe, actually, whoever controlled the building, controlled the scripture, controlled the people, also controlled the government. And you understand now all the atrocities that were done in the name of Jesus because of this mistranslation of what, what the church actually is. Over time, what began as a movement of making disciples of Jesus and testing, testifying to the resurrection became a very insider-focused, ritualistic, traditional, in some cases pagan, immoral, Um, destructive and unethical movement that actually had no reflection of the early church of the first century. That's what happened. In fact, the same idea that began about 300 AD, I believe, has trickled into our own understanding, our our own thoughts about what church is when we think about what is a church. You think about that. You may have thought, man, I, I, I've got to go to church to meet with God, or we've got to go into that sanctuary because it's a place that is holy, and, and that's where God's presence dwells. Forgetting what Scripture, in fact, says, and I'll bring it up for you, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You can bring it up on the screen. You are not your own, he says, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. The temple of our living God is not a place. It's a people. He sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. That's what it is. That's the difference 
in New Testament times. So God no longer dwells in temples built by men. He's not bound to a place, but to a people. The church is not a building. It's a body. And the church is is not an organization. It is an organism. That is our church. That is God's church today, okay? Now, history goes on. 1,000 years pass, and something awesome happens. God calls a man in the early 1500s. A man shows up in England, and his name is William Tyndale. Okay, everybody say, hi, William. Hi, William. William. Okay, he doesn't look too happy, though. Okay, maybe because of what he's had to wear. Okay, if I had to wear a turtleneck, I I, I don't think I'd be happy either. All right. William Tyndale. He was actually a British linguistics professor in the early 1500s, and he had enough. He decided that it was time for the average person to know the scriptures for themselves, to be able to read it and to apply it and understand it for themselves. See, what what you may not have known during that time is that the study of scripture and the reading of scripture was reserved for only the, the clergy, the professionals. And so the professionals, they read the Bible and they preached the message that maybe they were given in, in a way that, that basically they guided their church on what to believe and what to understand and what to apply. And because of that, there, there, was, there was much dysfunction in the church about selfish things that were done, things that they told people to do that were just completely unscriptural. And William Tyndale said, no, we need everyone to have access to the word of God for themselves, okay? And so you remember, if you controlled the Bible, you controlled the truth, you controlled the, the truth, you controlled the church, if you controlled the church, you controlled the people, William Tyndale said, that's enough. That's enough. And he proceeded then to translate the scripture from the original Hebrew and Greek text into the English language. And as you can guess, the church leaders were not happy about this. He became an outlaw, and he actually had to flee to England. He, uh, he, he actually, sorry, sorry, he had to leave England and flee to Germany, where he continued his work of translation there. And thanks to Gutenberg, if you remember what Gutenberg did, the Gutenberg printing press, which was invented 100 years before the time of William Tyndale, the Word of God was not only translated into English, but then spread and, and actually smuggled back into England. And so, so as, as the church leaders there and, and throughout Germany are, are seeing these copies of the New Testaments go all throughout the land, Tyndale is eventually betrayed, put on trial, brought back to England, tried as a heretic and as an enemy of the church, and is convicted and then hanged and burned at the stake. But you know what? It wasn't too late because the word of God had gone forth. The average person, the average person had the word of God in their possession. That they could read it for themselves in a language that they could understand. And during his trial, he made this statement. He said this, If God spares my life, Ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow to know more of the scriptures than thou dost. He's talking to the religious leaders during that time. 
the clergy, the professionals. He says, I want, I want that little boy that's driving the plow. I want that farm boy to know the scripture more than what, what you do. The word of God is for God's people. And you know, one of the things that drove the church leaders absolutely crazy was this. That when William Tyndale got to that little word, ecclesia, he didn't translate it as the Lord's house. He translated it as congregation, as the people. He, cha- he changed the understanding, the way that people understood the scripture. He brought it back. It was his way of bringing it back and saying, God, God, God's church is not a place. It is his people. And today we are, we are impacted by that tremendously today. Having the word of God today in our own language translated into English for us to read today. And with this understanding that the church is not a building that we come to. It's a people that we're a part of. Followers of Jesus all around the world. Those adopted into his family. Those that have trusted in Jesus. And so as we look into the book of Acts We want to approach it with that understanding. And that's a little history lesson that actually carried on then into uh, some of the New Testament and what I want to lead up to in the book of Acts. Because in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16 in particular, there's actually an incident where Jesus gathered to himself all of his disciples and he asked this question, and it was a question that you may want to be careful about asking to your friends. He, he asked this question, he said, what are people saying about me? Who do people say that I am? Okay, you understand how you may not want to ask your friends that question because you may not be very happy with the response that they give you, okay? If you're ready to ask that question, you better better be ready to receive the answer, okay? Jesus, he's pretty secure, and he asked it. And this is the response that he got. Matthew 16, 13, it says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah. Or one of the prophets. Verse 15. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, saying, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And here's the key. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my ecclesia, my gathering, my congregation, my assembly, my movement, my called out ones. On this rock will I build my church. No matter how many people die, no matter what kind of opposition, no matter what kind of, of, of changes, no, no matter what kind of advancement in technology or culture or society, my church will stand. And the gates of hell, he said, shall not prevail against it. Shall not prevail. He's not talking about a place. He's talking about a people. And I want to just drive this home. I want you to get it, Okay. Because not long after this, what happened is that Jesus, he was arrested, he's put on trial, 
The Jews cried out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate goes in and, and he is then brought to the hill, Golgotha, where they nailed him on a cross, lifted, lifted him up in the air, and there he, there he died by crucifixion. He's dead for three days. He's in a tomb. And he, he, showed, he showed himself to be powerful over death because he came back to life. He came back to life. Three days later, the stone is rolled away. The, the, the women come to the tomb. And, and what happens? They say, Jesus ain't here. He's risen from the dead. Go and tell my disciples, the first messengers of the gospel. Go and tell my disciples. And it says actually in, in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 6 that after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to over 500 people. 500 people over 40 days. And so he, 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 he was on this earth, and after about 40 days, he gathered his followers together on a hillside. And he gave them these final instructions. We, we find these instructions a few times in the book of, uh, in, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But we also um, find an account in the book of Acts. And that's where we're going this morning. Because here, Jesus predicts the beginning of his ecclesia, the beginning of the church. Acts chapter 1, we'll start there right now. If you, if you have your Bibles, open there, say, I do. I do. All right, sweet. Okay, that took a little while, but I had to give you a history lesson. Okay, we don't often do that, but it's good. All right, Acts chapter 1. Here is Dr. Luke's account, and Luke was a doctor. He also um, wrote the book of Luke, and you'll see that he references to that in verse 1. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, and this must have been someone he was writing to, in, my first, in the first book, that, that being the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken, taken up. After he had given these given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, goes on to say in verse three that he um, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. For the, promise, for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Here in these first five verses of the book of Acts, we hear Jesus predicting the beginning of his church. In verse 6, it says that when they had come together, they asked him, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel. Now, what's interesting is this. They were not thinking in terms of, of growing and multiplication and making disciples and witnessing. No, they were concerned about the kingdom of Israel. They were thinking, Jesus, are you? did you just uh, resurrect from the dead so you can be our victorious king to restore the, the nation of Israel back to its former glory? Are you going to do that, Jesus? He was like, hmm. Verse 7, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But, and here's a key verse, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Okay, let's look at the word witness for a second. Witness has the same idea of that used in the court of law. We have some lawyers in our church, and you'll know that when you call a witness to the stand, you're asking them to give a credible testimony of what they saw and what they heard or what they observed, okay? And, and, and so, so all that a witness is is just someone that, that is going to give a testimony to accurately represent what happened, Something, some event that went on. And so Jesus, he's talking to all these eyewitnesses. Think about them. These are all eyewitnesses of the resurrection. They knew Jesus before he, was, before he died and was buried and crucified and buried. And they knew him after he rose again from the dead. And they said, this is true. You are alive. My testimony is this. You've gone from death to life. You've overcome the grave. No one else has done that. And I believe that was their testimony. He said, you are going to be my witnesses, and you're my eyewitnesses too. You're eyewitnesses of my resurrection. He's saying, your testimony, it matters. It matters. Now, we don't know what they thought, but we can actually just imagine. Because as, as you keep on reading that verse, he, he, he tells them what they're going to do. He said, you're going to take my teaching and my message about my resurrection, and you're going to do, do something with it. You're going to take it, first of all, it says, to Jerusalem. Now, if we're thinking, okay, well, you know, how would they be feeling at that point? They're, they're probably thinking, okay, that's cool. Yeah, we're in Jerusalem right now. Yeah, that's easy. Let's, let's, uh, let's, let's tell everyone in Jerusalem. We'll, we'll go into the, into the square, the, the you know, uh, center of town. We'll get up on a box, and we'll, we'll tell everybody about Jesus. We can even show you off, okay? Jesus is resurrected from the dead in Jerusalem. Okay, we can do Jerusalem. That's where they were. Judea. Okay, that's, that's a larger area. That's going to take a few more people, Jesus. Um, you know, I, I guess we can do that. He said in Samaria. Oh, Jesus, Samaria? We don't even like Samaria. It's full of the Samaritans, the half-breeds. We don't like those people, Jesus. We don't even go through Samaria. We avoid going through Samaria. Jesus, why Samaria? And he says, to the ends of the earth. What? The ends of the earth? And think about this. Jesus, you've never even traveled a hundred miles from here. In your lifetime, you've, you've never been out of this area, Jesus. How do you expect that we're going to take it to the ends of the earth? And Jesus is like, uh, you don't even know how big the earth is. <laughs> I, I, have, I have an idea that there were still some flat earthers in that group. Okay? <laughs> yeah, think about it. They had no idea how big the ends of the earth is. Okay? And Jesus is like, yeah. You're going to take this message, this message about me, to the ends of the earth. It's going to touch every single part, which, my friends, we're going to see next week, is exactly what happened. And we're going to see how it happened, because it's amazing. And, and we, in some ways, are, are a partial fulfillment of that as Valley Church, if you think about that. Okay, it's pretty amazing. But as we keep on reading verse 9, it says that when he had said these things... As they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. This is incredible. 
And while they were gazing up into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go. After Jesus ascended into heaven, this little, little group of believers are just, the, just staring up in awe, just like, where'd he go? He's gone. He's talking. He was talking once, and now he's, he's up in the sky. He may, you know, I can, I can just imagine Jesus as he's ascending into heaven saying, surely I will be with you to the end of the earth. <laughs> and then these angels come and are like, hey, guys, snap out of it. Hey, hey. Jesus is gone, okay? And he, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna come back the same way that he left, okay? He's, he's going to come back to you that same way. So just, just you know, you've got, a, you've got a mission, though, right now. You've got something to do. Jesus told you to do something. But first of all, I want you to just notice what Jesus had said. He didn't say just get to work right away. What did he say? You have to go back a little bit. I don't even know what verse it is. Verse 4. Verse 4, it's right there. He said, don't depart from Jerusalem. Do not depart from, from Jerusalem, but wait. But wait. For the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. What Jesus told them to do was not get to work right away. Not to just do it on their own strength. Not to go out and, and, and share everything about the resurrection right away. No, no, he said, I want you to wait. Okay, and I think that tells us something about how we are to actually also go about ministry. Is that it's not just about human efforts of, I'm just going to witness to all my neighbors. And I'm going to tell all my coworkers and my whole school and they're all going to get saved. No, Jesus said, wait, you need something. You need me. You need my Holy Spirit. Jesus was God with us. The Holy Spirit is God in us. And they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come so that they could be empowered for the works of ministry. And, and that's, that's what they were waiting for. And we'll see in next week that the Holy Spirit came. But he said, wait. What did they do while they waited, though? It says this, verse 14. That these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women... And Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. I love how it just includes everybody. It says it's not just the disciples, not just those, those that were, you know, part, part of the posse, you know, part of that group. It says also the women were there, and they were just an equal part of what they did, as well as, as Mary and, and Jesus' brothers, these people that had been really skeptical of Jesus and his ministry, and, and you probably would be too if your brother said that he was the son of God. Okay, if, if you research that, yeah, they were. They thought he was a nutcase. But they began to meet together and pray together and meet together and pray together and meet together and pray together. And they did this for about two weeks, and two weeks later, we're going to have to wait for it, something amazing happened because we're going to get to Acts chapter 2. But it reminds me of, of this question that we started with, because we're going to wrap things up. What comes to mind? Now what comes to your mind when you think about this word church? What comes to your mind when you hear the word church? Because seriously, guys, I, I really hope that as a result of today, 
in the little history lesson that we got, and a little study in Greek. Now you know Greek, okay? Um, your mindset on what the church is, it changes. I hope that you won't allow yourself to just slide back into thinking that a church is a, an organization or a building or a tradition or a denomination or, or some kind of institution. No, from the very beginning, the church was ecclesia, a gathering of followers of Jesus around one simple message, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That was their message. In Valley Church, this is our message. And it should be the messages of all the churches in our valley, all the churches in our nation, all the churches around the world. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. We're not ca calling people just to come to church. We're calling people to come to Jesus who can save you from death. It's not about a location. It's about a people with a mission and a message that are on the move. And can I tell you, Valley Church, we are on the move. We are on the move. If you were in our members meeting, you, you heard a lot last week about God has called us to be on the move, how God is doing some awesome things. And we're going to share that in a few weeks with our congregation. But we have been called to seek, serve, and send disciples. Just like, just like God said, Jesus said to these disciples, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Yeah, you're called to seek, serve, and send just like they were with the message of the gospel. It's not that complicated. You don't need to be highly educated. You don't have to have all the wisdom of the world. No, you just need to know God's word and have a testimony about resurrection in your own life, what Jesus has done. And so church, we want to be those men and women that are speaking Jesus. That's the way we want to begin this series. Over the next 12 weeks, we're going to explore what that means. But as you can see from our first study, there's more to it. There's more to it than just attending a church service. Attending, being part of an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. There's more. There's more that God has called us to do. If we are ecclesia, then we will be that called out group, that assembly, that gathering of followers of Jesus. It makes me ask the question as, as we end. I want to just bring some application for us. How can we as Valley Church experience this? How can we experience ecclesia? It's a good question. As I prepared for this message, I, you know, I, I actually thought back on times when I would say that um, our family experienced this in a church. And uh, what I realized was that the times where I truly experienced being part of a gathering of followers of Jesus was in a smaller setting. It was when we, uh, when we had other believers into our homes, when we shared a meal, when we prayed together, when we devoted time to each other just to, just to be in, in community together. And you know, as, as funny as this sounds, actually the mo most recent time that I feel like I ever experienced true gospel community, Ecclesia, was actually during COVID. Remember that time? It's not that long ago, okay? But man, you remember how, how you couldn't go to church? Like you weren't allowed to go to church, the, you know, to, to Kirche, right? Right? You couldn't go to the Lord's house, okay? Remember that? 
Yeah, you weren't allowed. The CD said, no, no gatherings over 10, or no gatherings over your family. Or you just be with your family. And you, some of you guys are like, oh, I'm going crazy here. You know, when we were up in Michigan, we actually decided, we, we did a couple weeks of that. And we were like, okay, we had a small group, two other couples and their kids. And we said, uh, we're going to keep on gathering. We tried the Zoom thing first and we we're like, this is lame. And so we went to each other's homes once every week. We shared a meal together. We, um, we, we just enjoyed time together. We shot guns. We, uh, we went to the beach. We uh, went to the park. We went to Burger King. You know, we just did life together. We just did normal life. We tried to get together every single week for fellowship. But that's not all we did. We, we studied God's word together. We had a lot of questions. Whenever we got to a question, we tried to look at God's word for some answers. We tried to help each other grow in our faith. Um, we also prayed together. We prayed every week for each other. And we knew that we had each other's backs. And, and you know, during that time, actually, we, we went through a lot. Um, not only with the uncertainty of the pandemic, but also just in our personal lives. Some of the things that happened during that 18 months that we were together was that we uh, helped one of our couples move across town. We helped each other navigate employment situations, even some of the complexities of that. We um, helped each other through some health challenges. We helped each other through raising kids almost on a weekly basis. We, we were just like, help, help, what do we do? What do we do now? You know, it's, it's kind of a weekly, daily thing that you as parents deal with. We even dealt with this. We dealt with conflict. One of the couples really were in conflict almost weekly. Their marriage was falling apart. And we actually mediated an all-out fight, <laughs> okay? Like they were yelling and screaming at each other. It was that messy, okay? One of them walked out, came back in. That's just life. That's what happens, church. And I doubt that that's ever going to happen in a setting like this, right? But what has God called us to? He's called us to ecclesia. He's called us out. Be separate from them. Join yourselves together. Assemble yourselves together and do this. And we're, we're going to jump ahead to Acts 2.42. I want to bring this verse up. Acts 2.42 says this. If you have it, you can bring it up on the screen says that they devoted themselves, that's what they did, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. They shared a meal together. They enjoyed fellowship with one another. They uh, studied the Bible, and they prayed together. Pretty simple, right? But it made me ask the question, how often do we as Valley Church experience that same thing? I felt like the most meaningful time with our, our group in, in Michigan was that time when we just devoted ourselves to those simple things. It wasn't anything extravagant. We actually handed, handed passed leadership around from week to week. We said, it's okay. We're all, we're all learning. We're all learning God's word. And what that started was, was just a very sweet time of fellowship as followers of Jesus. And we began that group actually with the end in mind. Here was the end that we would after 18 to 24 months then part ways. And we didn't know how we were going to part ways. 
sorry. I'm getting emotional. Because <laughs> that's that's what a group that's what a group like that's gonna do to you. Okay. The most tears that we actually shed were actually leaving our small group. <laughs> but we knew, we knew that that we had a family here at Valley Church that we were gonna do the same thing that we were going to have those same kind of deep relationships, that same kind of care for each other, and it was going to be okay. That's the beauty of the body, isn't it? And that we could do the same 242 here. So with that in mind, we are, we want you to experience the same thing. We want you to experience ecclesia. That's that's what we want for you. And with that in mind, we're, we're actually, um, as, uh, as, um, as you just announced during during uh, announcement time, we're launching a new ministry here in our church called 242. 242. We're going to bring it up on the screen. And this is an opportunity for you to do the same thing. In fact, we actually have, this is awesome, I think about nine different couples that have actually said they're going to take lead. And they want you to be a part of their group and for you to be in their home, you to be in fellowship with them every single week or whatever works for you as a, as a community. I'll, I'll just tell you a little bit. 242 groups are going to be this. They're going to be made up of three to four couples or six to eight individuals. we got to keep them small. Six to eight individuals. And they're going to devote themselves, as Acts 242 says, to prayer, teaching, fellowship, and the breaking of bread. It's that simple. We're going to have more details to come in the next few weeks. And our ushers are going to have um, have something to hand out as, as you leave. But we want you to sign up. We're going to have open sign-ups in the month of September for this. And uh, as you can see, we're ready to go. We're ready. We're ready for this as a church. We need this as a church to be this Acts 242 community to be what the early church had in mind, that the Lord's house is not a place, it's a people. And we want to be that people as Valley Church. We want to make disciples of Jesus Christ to seek, serve, and send in this valley. We even talked about this last week. We've had so many people come into fellowship with us. And we've, we've, we've talked about our future as a church, of being a church planting church. You know how churches are planted? by its people. We want churches to be planted as disciples are made. We don't plant churches to make disciples. We make disciples to plant churches. It's that way around. And that's what we want to do as a church, as a community, that we grow together in obedience to Jesus. And so that's our invitation to you. One application, sign up, join, be part of the 242 community. And uh, we know that it's going to benefit you and your family. And we'll have more, more questions and more answers to come, but that, that's it. Be part of Ecclesia. Be part of those whose testimony is resurrection. Amen. Be part of those people. Let's stand up. Let's stand up. Be part of those people that have gone from death to life. Let's sing about it. Let's praise God for it. And let's move forward in faith. We love you, Valley Church. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you are impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, 
We would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.